In the offseason, I wasn't worried at all about this week's upcoming game against Kansas State, despite the Sooners losing to the Wildcats in consecutive seasons. In 2019, Kansas State caught OU on a bad day, took advantage of untimely turnovers, and rode Skylar Thompson in the best game of his career to a 48-41 victory. The next year, in 2020, OU was up by three TDs very late in the third quarter and let a series of unfortunate events cascade into another untimely loss. After the first four games of this 2021 season, I'm not feeling quite as warm and fuzzy about the trip to Manhattan on Saturday. As of this writing, K-State head coach Chris Kleiman has said that senior quarterback Skylar Thompson is unlikely to play on Saturday versus the Sooners, meaning that second-year player Will Howard would be taking the snaps. Keeping in mind that Kleiman has zero incentive to tell the truth about Thompson's real status, I've been going back and forth about what a healthy Thompson would mean to Kansas State's chances of winning this game. Howard is, is a big guy who does have some wheels, and he seems capable of executing the QB run game that K-State likes to run. And he's even shown a lot more in the passing game in limited action this season than he did in the second half of last year. Still, I think the Sooners' fortunes in this game ultimately come down to who is under center for the Wildcats. If Thompson is the guy, you gotta feel really good about the ways they can scheme Deuce Vaughn open in the passing game. And if it's Howard, I think OU would have to feel good about focusing on the run and forcing Howard to beat you with difficult throws. So what's it gonna be? As per usual, we'll find out 2.30 on Saturday. I'm Grant Pinson. This is West of Everest. Yes, of course it is. West of Everest, available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We've got another jam-packed midweek podcast coming up for you today. Oklahoma's next opponent, Kansas State, a team who made a brief appearance in the top 25 last week before dropping out after losing at Oklahoma State last Saturday. Joining me today to talk OU football, the only man in America who did not buy into all of the offseason Iowa State hype, a man who is definitely way too humble to even think about bragging about that perfect prognostication. That man, of course, is none other than Grant Benson. <sighs> Thank you for leaving out that I predicted Wisconsin to win the Big Ten and Utah to win the Pac-12. Appreciate we that. We both picked Utah. That's a huge whiff by both of us. And Wisconsin can't move the football, so that uh, that's continuing from last season. And uh, yeah, that's all I, I guess have I just, on, I on don't, Wisconsin right now. I guess I just don't really understand. I mean, like I went to bat for Iowa quite a bit in that preview pod, and I don't know why I didn't just, just pick them to win the Big Ten. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point because Iowa has been winning games, and, you know, you just you love these teams who can't move the football in the Big Ten, but I was actually winning without being able to move the football. So uh, good on them, I guess. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to continue. Actually, they have a pretty interesting matchup this week, which we will talk about later in the podcast. Professional tease. Uh, last episode, we were short because we started recording late after OU's win over West Virginia, and I said that we would begin this podcast with three-word reviews because all of you like to put three-word reviews up there, and we want to make sure that we get to them because... Uh, we appreciate you guys supporting this podcast and commenting and leaving three-word reviews. So I went through the Facebook page, the West of Everest Facebook page. Make sure you give that a like if you want to keep up to date with the podcast. And I went through my Twitter account, So uh, and I found and I picked out all the three-word reviews that stood out to me. And so if you don't hear yours, it's just because either it's a repeat of somebody else kind of similar, or let's be honest, I just didn't think it was that good. Yeah, sometimes the truth is harsh, guys. Sometimes the truth is, uh, the truth is harsh. Uh, 
or I just missed it, and it's a, it's a weird day. So uh, let's start on Facebook, and we'll begin with Philip, who has been a an avid West of Everest listener for years. Thank you, Philip. And uh, 57 yards rushing is his three-word review. And I, we didn't really talk much about the lack of a running game, I think. It was, it was a podcast dominated by Spencer Rattler last time out, but uh, I wanted to start there. Man, I mean, 57 yards rushing. We'll talk about this later in the podcast when it comes to this Kansas State game, but uh, <clears throat> if that happens again against Kansas State, I don't know if Oklahoma can win another game uh, because they're going to have to be able to run it against Kansas State because Kansas State kind of wants you to run it, but the Wildcats weirdly have one of the best rush defenses in all of college football. But, uh, yeah, running the ball was a problem, Grant, against West Virginia. No, it obviously was. Very obviously was. Um, and they're they're going to have to make some changes there. They're going to have to make some changes with their scheme, kind of what they want to do. Like, you know, for instance, um, I know Teddy and Gabe were talking about this on their podcast, but they need to get Eric Gray the ball more outside of the tackles in space. He, between the tackles is not his, like, he's not bad or anything, but it's just, he's clear, that's clearly not his, the strength of his game. Uh, so that needs to change. Kennedy Brooks needs more than five carries going into the last series of the game. Um, I guess, you know, I've clearly, the, the running game against West Virginia was not acceptable whatsoever. Um, I'm not super worried about it, though. I'm, I'm really not super worried about it. Um, I think they're going to be able to run the ball as the season goes on just fine, just because glitches in the running game are something that we've seen a lot in Riley's tenure since he's been here. Um, even in, even in years when it seems like they've just been churning out rushing yards left and right, there's still some weird games where they have just some gaps in it. Um, and I think they're going to figure it out eventually. You got a guy, Andrew Rame, who was making the first start of his career and at, at times didn't look great. Um, you got, I know she, we didn't even talk about Anton Harrison got benched in that game and Wanye Morris came in. And, you know, I, I thought Wanye was unspectacular, but also not like horrendously terrible either. Yeah. I didn't think anybody on the offensive line played all that well, with the exception of Tyrese Robinson. Tyrese Robinson, watching the game back, I didn't see him really mess up at all. I mean, nobody plays a perfect game, but when there was pass protection issues, it, from what I remember, it was really never from Tyrese Robinson on, on the right side. Andrew Rame was fine, but there's, uh, you know, it, it wasn't perfect. But, man, I mean, Chris Murray early in the game was was getting beat like a drum. You mentioned how Anton Harrison got benched. Marquise Hayes was kind of non-existent. And, yeah, I, when Wanye came in, it was it, it didn't – he – I saw him get beat off the edge once, at least one time. So, yeah, the entire offensive line, with the exception of Tyrese Robinson, I thought was – was uh, very poor, very poor in pass protection. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I rewatched the game because it it showed me that it really wasn't all on Spencer Rattler. Uh, when Lincoln Riley says that everybody needs to play better, rewatching that game, I came away thinking, okay, yeah, Riley's correct. <laughs> I mean, that, it, that was by far the worst pass protection game of the year. And it, it obviously the, the, you know, the, the running game wasn't there. And also, I just want to put this out there. I, I didn't get through the full rewatch. I didn't watch the last drive by Oklahoma. We all know that was the you know one of the best drives of the game, if not the best drive of the game, given the the circumstances. Probably was the best drive of the game because it went down and they, and they won the football game. But prior to that last drive, so I can't comment on that drive. But before that, I only counted the GT counter play grant one time. And if they ran it on the last drive, then okay, more than once. But I only saw that play called one time, and Eric Gray got the carry, and Eric Gray missed the block. I mean, it was open off 
off the edge outside and he had he had running room and he cut it inside and he missed it so the one time they ran it, it actually would have worked if Eric, Eric Gray would have gone the right way. It makes me wonder if Kennedy Brooks was the running back in that situation, if Kennedy Brooks would have probably made the play and gotten at least 10 yards. So we talked about how they weren't running it much against Nebraska. Definitely didn't run it much at all against West Virginia either. So that's something that, man, that play has been a staple in this offense, and they run so many other plays off of it. When they're not running that play at all, it kind of shows you that Lincoln Riley's really trying to figure things out because he loves that play. And he, he can't run it for whatever reason. I don't know if, if you noticed that at all when you were watching the game. I didn't notice. The biggest thing that I noticed, like, again, only 13 handoffs to the running back with three and a half minutes to go in the game. So, like, and and obviously they didn't have a lot of success, but it's not like they really tried to establish the run at all. They didn't. And it wasn't working. But my my biggest frustration while watching it was that Whenever I watched West Virginia against FBS competition, against Maryland, against Virginia Tech, if they ever had any success running the ball, it was off tackle. It was outside. It was outside zone. And I just didn't see a lot of that from OU. And I know it's in the playbook. So, you know, that's, that was disappointing where it, to me, it sometimes it felt like a refusal to do what worked against them, like other teams what worked against them. And, you know, I'm, I'm using worked loosely. West Virginia did a pretty good job against the run in both of those games. But it's not like they weren't gashed every now and then. And when they were, it was usually on outside zone and stuff that was outside the tackles. So um, I was disappointed in not, you know, not seeing that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the offensive line played poorly. You know, that's why I came on the podcast after the game and said it was frustrating when I was rewatching it because, yeah, it's like, you, you know, you can't put it all on Spencer Rattler in this game. Like, a lot of people on offense played, played pretty poorly in that game. Um I just I hope it gets yeah. better. The only thing that we can continue to fall back on is that OU has the track record of getting better on offense as the season goes on. It's documented. It's there. It is a thing. But, geez, man, I mean, it's October now, and you're kind of hoping that you're going to see it, and you don't feel all warm and fuzzy having not seen it, seeing it up to this point, and now having to go on the road to play like let's be a good team, a good team on the road. Yeah, no, yeah, Kansas State's a good football team. More three-word reviews, and this kind of goes along with the theme of the beginning of the show. Tracy says, fix offensive line. John says, eh, we won. And that it's almost that makes me think of you know, the way I've been describing my thoughts about Oklahoma football the last couple of weeks as just the shoulder shrug emoji. And I think that's the perfect shoulder shrug emoji reaction to that win. Eh, we won the game. And that's exactly right. Uh, not impressive, but another win. I was Does gonna say John. Something? Yeah, John's John's attitude towards the game. I like, and not to tell anyone how they should feel or anything, but that's the best way to look at it. It's the best way to look at it, and <laughs> in, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, more three word reviews from the Facebook page. How about this? Ned says classless OU fans, and we touched on this a little bit on the last podcast. I've thought a little bit more about it. I. Uh, and I'm, I still I feel the same way. I, I haven't really changed at all my thoughts about the way the, the fans reacted and kind of the reaction to the fans. I don't think you've changed your thoughts on it um, at all. It's just it's 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 kind of like a divide. Either you think that that was classless, it was a bad look and, and it shouldn't have happened. And I know a lot of former players are not happy with it. Um, but I did see one former player, uh, Rufus Alexander, who was a fantastic linebacker for Oklahoma, played in the. NFL he's at Putnam City High School defensive coordinator assistant head coach right now and he was more on on my side my side and I think your side whereas hey I mean they they played 
you have some stinkers at home and you're not playing that well, what do you expect's going to happen? If you don't want to get booed, you got to play better. And the quarterback in football gets all of the blame, whether it's warranted or not warranted. And so that's just kind of to be expected. And so Rufus is kind of like, yeah, just all this complaining doesn't really doesn't really help anything. Just you got to play better. And generally, that's kind of where I am, too. Yeah, I mean, my take on it is I would I would never be the person booing a player in the stands. That's just not me. It's not really who I am. Um, we're talking about referees. I'll boo them all day long, all day long. Um, <laughs> well, they deserve it. That's because they well, yeah, they're it. all terrible at their job. There's not a single Stripes. good one in the entire world. So, yeah, I mean, they, they deserve yeah, to yeah, get booed. The, yeah, the next um, next good call they make the will be the time, first. Yeah, but also at the same time, um, I, Rufus Alexander's opinions on this I, are, are correct. You like whether or not someone should be doing it or it's classless or whatever. Booing is a part of major sports everywhere in the entire world. And if it's not something that you can handle. You can grow up a little bit like that's like I, I guess I look at it in the sense of it like I just I wish to God that I was in a position to get booed by the OU home fans. That, and that sounds like a great position to be in, in, in my opinion. And that doesn't take, I'm sure, I'm sure it hurts. I'm sure it doesn't feel great when you hear it. But, like, haven't these people been around sports their entire life? Do they not understand that? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That's a good point. You texted me that the other day. Like, man, I'd love to be in the position to be on that field, it, it, you know, getting booed by a bunch of people. Because that means that you're in a great spot in life. And you're at a great opportunity. So take advantage of it. And I think that's a good point because, yeah, I, I heck, I, I, that's kind of the same way I, I feel. You know, I'm in the media. I, know, I mean, nobody knows who I am, and that's fine. Like, you have to work for that and earn that. And sometimes you hear people complain about getting criticized. And, you know, on, on Twitter, there are people are, you know, yelling at them or commenting on them. And some of the times I'm thinking, like, you know what? I'd love to be in a position where so many people know who I am to where I'm getting tons of criticism on Twitter for something I did or said. Hopefully it's not something, like, horribly stupid that could – ruin my career but I, I sometimes i think man that must be nice to have everybody know who you are and cared enough to what you say because that doesn't happen i mean every once in a while somebody will uh, call me out on something dumb and i say but it might be just one person and a lot of the time it's you and a lot of, a lot of the time it's the same people on twitter over and over again that are fans of this podcast and that like to uh check us every once in a while and that's great i love it that's fine uh but but also i mean rufus i'm looking at his tweet right now he says what are you expecting a pat on the back uh, he said the defense got booed when they sucked a few years back. Now everyone wants to act like this is a brand new thing. And yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's like the, the Oklahoma defense, when it was really bad, I, I do recall it It got booed. And granted, that's, the, that's a unit, not necessarily, let's be honest, a lot of this, I mean, this was Spencer Rattler. I mean, people were booing Spencer Rattler. I, I, and I think generally the offense, but mainly with you throw in the we want Caleb chance, it's Spencer Rattler's getting the brunt of that, and he's got to deal with that. And to his credit, it, you know, I, I actually I heard his media availability today. I was listening on it. He he sounds like he's unfazed. I, I had no problem with anything he said. He does he wasn't really asked much about it, but he he said you know nothing emotional, nothing bad, and he sounds like he's ready to move on to the next thing. And so good on him, good on him. I I think he's going to be able to handle it. Uh, now he just needs to have you know he needs to play better, and his teammates need to play better. Yeah, that's good. I, I I didn't hear the media availability today. I'll I'll take your word for it. Um, because I mean I, I know you would you would criticize him fairly in that situation. So, um, I don't know. I just I I, I did want to to bring up something because there was I was listening to uh earlier this week I was listening to Sooner Scoops post game pod, 
And uh, Carrie Murdoch said something that I thought was was really fair and really correct for the most part. And he he says that sometimes you know Spencer Rattler, especially with how he's how he's handled the the media criticism or some of these questions the last week or two, that sometimes he comes he he gives off the persona or the feeling that he thinks that he's bigger than OU football. Um, and I, that's just there is not a single human being on this planet that is bigger than OU football, and that that will always be the case. Um, and I think I, I think that honestly drives a lot of the booze um because and I, I think that's where a lot of the nil frustration comes into because it, it's people who in my in my opinion are rightly making the connection that oklahoma made spencer rattler and not the other way around um and so that that privilege it it, it comes it it comes with conditions does it not and you know i that- yeah, that's the thing, and I think we briefly touched on it a little bit, but you know, booing like that, like we saw Saturday in this season, is a little different than it happening in every other college football season before this one, because of the NIL. And like you could, I think the people that are condemning the fans and and you know wagging their fingers at the fans, you know, previously I think they maybe had a little bit more of a point just considering it's it's been that unspoken thing of like these are college kids you know don't boo them support them and sure you know wherever you come down on that fine I I've never been one that cares that much about that I still I still feel like I'm in college (laughs) I feel mentally I I feel like I'm (laughs) I care a lot about that I care a lot about that to me it means something Uh, at least when I was at OU it meant something when I was in the sands when I was when I was in the, the at the Texas Tech game when I was at other games that season it meant a lot to me that those were my classmates. Um, the NIL stuff blurs those lines okay, big yeah. time. Big time. And so that's just something that I would ask some people to consider is all. Is that maybe that that connection between the fans in the stands watching their classmates on the field, maybe that is a lot more important than people are maybe giving it credit for. And maybe the NIL stuff does blur those lines to the point where it's a lot easier to dismiss that connection. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Interesting. And yeah, I, fans will cheer f- for you guys. will cheer for the team 99.9% of the time. I mean, there's a reason why this is so unusual. This doesn't happen all the time. It's not like every single game Oklahoma fans are, are booing and and now now the players and coaches are just fed up because it's like, unreasonable booing over and over and over again for years game to game that doesn't happen I mean this is and so it's like you said it earlier booing has been a part of sports forever that's just everybody does it every fan base does let's not pretend like Oklahoma's fan base is different than everybody else and we're all human beings and it's in this particular situation there's some nuance involved and the NIL being a new thing is part of that nuance and you know Lincoln Riley said this week he said very similar to what he said after the game he said you know tells us guys we don't pay attention to that because the only thing that matters is what our standard is inside these walls anybody that says anything outside the walls that stuff doesn't count what counts is what we think and not to say that he loves the fans cheering and showing support he says yeah that's awesome I love that but you know if something like that happens in games you know that just happens in games it doesn't matter to us we have to make sure that what we believe inside these walls is all that matters and you just ignore it and you move on and once again, Lincoln Riley handled it very well this week, talking about that. And 
let's hope that as the season progresses, this doesn't happen again and it's over. And Spencer Rattler continues to improve. The team plays better. And in a way, best case scenario, we look back two and a half, three months from now, and we think that might have been a turning point. Something, maybe something clicked, something changed, something happened. And it, it could just be coincidental if we look back and that's what we are thinking. But also, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe that's something that needed to happen. Nah, needed's too strong of a word. Maybe that's something that just happened and it's like, hey, we, we watched you against Tulane. It was good for a quarter, but eh. Western Carolina, whatever. Nebraska, all right, Nebraska's a good team, but come on, like they lost to Illinois. Let's go, let's go offense. All right, now West Virginia, they're a good team, but this is a team that you've been able to score a million points against for the last however many years. Come on. Okay, you, can barely, you can't even get five yards per play. Let's, okay, this is getting really annoying. Here comes the frustration from the fan base. Okay, so now what are you going to do moving forward? All right, more three-word reviews. Justin says, defense showed up. And hopefully today we'll be able to talk a little bit more about the defense because they did. The defense played really well for the most part outside of that first drive. Uh, although I do have some thoughts on the rewatch uh, that just drove me mad. And I think last episode you said that when you rewatch the game, the, the slants being open wasn't that big of a deal to you. I disagree, man. When I rewatched the game, that was there all night. And I don't know why West Virginia didn't do it more. Because Oklahoma, with the exception of maybe one or two times, was giving it to them. It's like every time I thought maybe they'd adjusted to it, Oklahoma didn't. And it worries me big time, especially for this next game against Kansas State. But we can talk about that a little bit more when we discuss more defense. It's just, it's uh, hard. And sure, like, I mean, that is granted. But also at the same time, it's really, really tough for me to be overly critical when you only gave up three and a half yards of play. And that's fair, too. And that's it where, it, that's think, where man, I'm just like, like, that's where I'm just like, if, if the offense just, just would have been slightly above average they would have won that game by 17 points and the defense looks way better so you know i it's okay. i guess it, it, it's kind of more of a pick your battles type type situation i got gotcha. you okay cool cool uh michael this is interesting he says please define close that's his three-word review because last week before the game lincoln riley said that hey we're closer than people think and lincoln riley reiterated that on tuesday this week he says i we watched the film. I mean, it's up to you out there to believe me or not, or, or like whether or not you believe that. I think we're closer than than a lot of people think, and so he's maintaining that. Uh, I will take his word for it, Grant. But when he tell, says it, you know, before the West Virginia game, and then you see that kind of performance from the offensive line, pass protecting, that's a pretty big step back. And it, it like they were worse against West Virginia than they were against Nebraska. So, all right, he's going to maintain that they're, they're close. We'll see what they do against Kansas State, who has a good defense. I mean, it, they have a good defense. So I, this is not going to be a sieve. My, you know, and so, like, let me qualify this by saying, if OU wants to get where they want to go, West Virginia's defensive line should not give them ha as much problems as it really did. But having that been said, I, I do think people have started to underrate West Virginia's defensive line in this conversation a little bit. Their D-line is very good. It's very, very good. They absolutely obliterated Virginia Tech's front as well. So and That's and good. Maryland had trouble blocking them as well. So you know I, and again, not acceptable that the way the offensive line played. I've seen those guys play better against defensive lines that are just as good. Like all of those guys, I've I've seen them play better. So um, yeah. 
but also, but it's it's okay to tip your cap to West Virginia in some instances, and their defensive line is very, very yeah. good. Sure. No, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up again because afterwards, I can't remember if I said this on this podcast or if I said it somewhere else, but I mean, Riley knew that going into the game. He, he said, hey, the, the two best units on the field, our defensive line and West Virginia's defensive line, and that's what played out on Saturday night. So, I mean, they knew that defensive line for West Virginia was really solid. A little bit more on Facebook here. Trey says, sigh of relief. That's a good one. Uh, Harry, big fan of the podcast. Harry's always positive. Got to love his positivity. He says, sooner magic, baby. And uh, lastly on Facebook, Christopher says, Spencer will Spencer. Let's go over to Twitter. At Waffle Heist <laughs> says, please end it. Uh, pl- uh, yeah, uh, in that Oklahoma game, ho- fortunately with a win. But if you're talking about waffles, man, never in those. I could eat those for days, man. Give me some waffles. Waffles, give me some butter, a little syrup. Waffles uh, with like a eat, little baby. bit of uh, ooh, waffles with, uh, with fruit on it is elite like eh. uh yeah nah, I'm, with syrup with no, syrup I, I can take it or I leave keep it. my fruit separate I with, keep my uh, with fruit syrup separate, i can man. take it or leave it i feel like you can if, if you, you you put syrup on a lot of things and it tastes exactly the same and that's that's the case with waffles as well <laughs> you got to put you got to put some like some raspberry compote on waffles and then you're then you're cooking oh, with gas yeah. oh yeah for oh, sure okay all right that's just just totally I, how many people just turn off the podcast after hearing that it's over. It's over. The podcast has been turned off. People are moving on because of your fruit with waffles take. Or I could be the one that's in the minority. I guess we'll find out. All right, more from Twitter. Larry says, O-line is offensive. I like that one. Pretty creative. Gus says, stop booing players. And, you know, we're, we've talked about this. You guys know our stance on that. But obviously, there's other people that, you know, are on the opposite side. And that's great. That's what makes for fun, interesting debate and good discussion. Uh, Michael, the hat tip to you here, Grant. Michael says, just win, baby. Apparently, you're quoted as saying that, not Al Davis anymore. You've, you've, just, you've usurped Al Davis. Congrats. I think I said it on, the, uh, on one of the podcasts like over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I do. Like, as long as they're 4-0, man, everything is, everything is, is in front of them. And we, we have seen this core of players play so much better. <laughs> so it's, it's there. For- like, the, the, the possibility is there. P23570 always has a thoughtful, creative three-word review. And this is in reference to Gabe Burkett. She says, like parallel parking. And if you remember from the past after that two-lane game, he talked about how every time he goes out on the field. <laughs> I can't remember if I said this on the, on the podcast or I said it on a radio show. Gabe Burkett says that he thinks of kicking like parallel parking. He just goes out there and tries to parallel park the football through the uprights. Like, what a weird dude, man. Kickers are so specialty. They're so weird. And it's a bit. I mean, like I, Lincoln Riley was asked about Gabe and kind of his unusual tendencies this week. And Riley said, yeah, I kind of think he might be messing with you guys a little bit. So like, it might just be a bit that he's doing. Uh, but also, like, he's a great kicker. He's a great kicker. and Whatever he's doing, keep doing it, man. I, it's, it's, it's fun to watch him kick, except whenever he's shanking easy field goals which happens like once every like I don't know 7 to 10 kicks. I shanked a bunch of easy ones last season. So, I think we're Yeah, we're not, last year wasn't quite the same. But uh no, I I'm like I'm one of those guys where it's just like yeah, I, you know, kickers and punters sometimes can be some really weird dudes and if they're doing their job extremely well, give them all the space in the world to be as weird as they possibly want to. 
As, if, if it's working for him, let him do it. I'll, uh, I don't know if I said this on the podcast before. This was on a, a different uh, Gabe Berkich availability. <laughs> and because Riley heard about this and, and it made Riley laugh because somebody asked him, you know, like, I, I think it might have been. When was it? I don't think it was before. It wasn't it wasn't uh, after this game. But anyways, he he was like asked, like, how do you know, you know, when you should be getting ready to kick a field goal or like whenever you're going to be called upon to kick a field goal? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, Oklahoma goes for it a lot, you know, and, and you know, who knows, maybe he's got to be at the ready or not. And he said, you know, uh, I kind of just look over at Riley. And he looks really pissed off. <laughs> so I know it's my time to go in. <laughs> because they weren't able to convert on third down. <laughs> and Riley, like, referenced that in one of his later uh, availabilities. And he, he said, yeah, I heard him. He said, he thought, yeah, that's pretty funny. Because that sounds about right. <laughs> well, so, least, uh, yeah, that's his, uh, that's his signal. Well, at least, at, least, uh, at least Lincoln Riley is sickened when he, when, when he sends the field goal team on there. Just like I am. Like 99% ah, of the Gabe. time. He's not as sick, though, because, I mean, how many 50 yards are we going to kick this year? And by, by we, I mean, like, ingest Oklahoma's offense. That's to gotta stop far, that crap. To the point they're going to kick a, enough to the point where he's going to have false confidence in it. And that's not a good thing. <sighs> it, it's not a good thing, or it could be the greatest thing ever. We'll see. You know, everything early on in this year, <laughs> right now, we're kind of like, eh, I don't know. It could pay off down the line. That's the hope. That's the hope. All I was right. gonna say, yeah. I mean, if it's yeah, and if OU wins like a national title on a game-winning field goal, then obviously I will, I will eat all of the crow. But <laughs> that's that's not gonna happen. That's that's most definitely not gonna happen. This one from Warren from Twitter, very similar to uh, the thoughts about Riley from a, a previous three-word review. He says, "Closer to what?" As in, we're getting close. Uh, Nathan says more Mike Woods. I agree, Nathan. Get Mike Woods the football more. He's an explosive player for whatever reason. I mean, Jaden Hazelwood's just he's not the same guy. He's not the same guy we saw as a freshman. We were hoping that he'd be back to 100 percent. He'd be explosive. And he just doesn't look very explosive. Does he look explosive to you, Grant? Or is that just me? Or I, I he don't doesn't, he doesn't look the same. Yeah, but I also I, I can't pick out any sort of instance where he's gotten the ball in space. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because he's not been able to get separation based on a play call or if just the play calling isn't great to where there is no chance to get separation or if uh, he's being, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think he might have broke a tackle last game when he was he caught like a short five-yard curl, broke a tackle, picked up some extra yardage, so that was good. And there's going to be a lot of that against Kansas State. They're going to be given a lot of cushion on the outside to where Spencer can get the ball out to either Woods or Hazelwood or, heck, Mims. they got to get Mims the ball more in One, space. Yeah, I was, I'm glad you brought up Mims. One thing that I kind of forgot to, to rail on in our post-game podcast was Marvin Mims's usage right now in this offense is so unacceptable. I mean, it's just he he's not getting the ball. He is out... Yeah. Outside, like after what you know, after his last catch against uh, against Tulane, he's been on a milk carton the entire season. And you know, I, I, I don't have a great, I don't have a great answer for it. All I know is that well, I, you know, it, I was sort of kind of playing around with this idea. Like, what do you think about this? And I didn't really note it a ton rewatching the West Virginia game, but man, to my eyes. There's really only four or five guys who should be catching passes on this team. And if they roll anyone else out there, it's almost kind of like a waste. It should be it should be Woods, Hazelwood, Mims, Stoops, and uh I don't know, Hall. 
maybe Stogner catching passes. Eric Gray are the only one. Like I, yeah, definitely Stogner. Uh, although he's yeah he's been pretty much absent with the exception of that touchdown catch, which it was just a straight up you know basketball box out. Which it was good to see them bring that. That's back, good to see. He looked a, like yeah he yeah it looked like he was doing Austin Stogner things. I'm I'm glad that you know I'm glad that happened. I it's just. I don't know. I guess I, I I don't I don't know if I noticed a ton of rotation at receiver uh, in the game, but I just you know if it's not if it's not Hazelwood, Mims, Woods, and Stoops out there as receivers, then I what are you doing? Yeah, I yeah I have no problem with that. You know, and talking about Mims and his lack of usage, it makes me think back to one of the podcasts we had towards the very end of last season after the bowl game, after we watched the national title game when Devonte Smith just destroyed Ohio State and Sark it was just like okay my game plan is going to be I'm just going to create a lot of different ways to get Devontae Smith the football and it works every single time because he's like our best player and I remember after that game I was saying like it made me think like why doesn't Oklahoma it seems like Oklahoma doesn't have that really with I mean I guess CD Lamb kind of had that in 2019 because that was really all they had was CD Lamb and Marquise Brown kind of had that a little bit at times like where Riley would try to get him the ball in certain situations but it's all you're you think if Sark I don't I mean I don't want to compare Sark and Riley because Riley's track record is so much better than Steve Sarkeesian it's not even close but you know it's it's Lincoln's kind of got his system and it's almost like he doesn't have that that mentality part of his offense where he thinks okay I got to get this one guy the ball a lot and and think of creative ways to get him the ball maybe that's outside of his normal offense in fact I would say he puts an overemphasis on sharing the wealth in the offense and you just go back to listen to him. He say, he brings it up all the time. And this offense, you just, you know, it's you share the wealth and everyone gets their numbers in this offense. And um I don't know. He's he's definitely at times shown an aversion to that. They they threw Lamb the ball all the time in 2019. He was he was a massive part of their offense. And the same with Hollywood. Once he once he emerged, they tried a ton of different ways to get him the ball in 17 and 18. Um and so I guess, yeah, maybe that tells you it's just nobody has really stepped up to this point. But then I ask, like, what was Marvin Mims doing last season? And well, yeah, you know, there's a reason why I use Marvin Mims this as year? my example. Yeah, my example last year, I was like, Marvin Mims is not Devontae Smith. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the guy just won the Heisman. But, I mean, he was their be- best playmaker last season. I mean, like, and I'm usually not somebody that's a big fan of, okay, let's just figure out a bunch of ways to get this one guy the football. Because in my mind teams will see that and they'll figure it out and they'll just like okay let's take this guy away Ohio State couldn't and the SEC couldn't with Devontae Smith apparently every single the guy just balled out and that was whenever uh like yeah really good players it's it's definitely possible really good players are valuable because really good players can can get their yards and their touchdowns no matter what the defense is running against them that's like that's why it's important that's why it's important to have Mm -hmm. the dudes all right, so I'll go to my coworker Carl Torp at News Nine. He says not peaking early. True, true. Don't want him to peak too soon. Uh, Jacob says, "Let Rattler learn." And Jacob has uh, some more on the tweet, just to give some more details on what he means. He says, "People need to remember that Rattler's still young and figuring out the game. Mayfield and Murray and Hertz each had more time to develop before we saw them play." So Jacob's being a little more, you know, a little, little easier on Rattler. I, I would say, though, Jacob, you know, he, yes, he's young, but this is his second year starting, and he had the entire 
2019 season behind Jalen Hurts to learn the offense and get in. So, I mean, this is his now, what, third year in the program. And you go back to Baker Mayfield. He had the entire year out in the program. And then year two was what? And the program was his first year starting in 2015. And by 2016, his third year, which I guess is kind of equivalent now to Rattler. Granted, I know Mayfield played, what, four or five games for Texas Tech. So he had those games under his belt. But, I mean, this is – would you – you would know this more. I mean, is – right now where Spencer Rattler is, how, what would you compare that to as far as Baker Mayfield's – like, would – the 2016 season be fair or is that not, not even fair? it's not even remotely close rattler hasn't even played up to mayfield's 2015 level once in his career no no i'm talking about number of games being played i'm not talking about performance on the field i'm talking about experience number of games uh, i would say it's it's similar to it would be the second half of mayfield's first season starting with ou the stretch run once you got to november that would have been okay. comparable in terms of experience kyler's didn't have a lot of experience at this level, he, I mean, the, I think the first game he no, started Kyler for did, OU yeah. was like the fifth or sixth game he'd started in his entire career. Cause he, he started, well, like three yeah, or four at, at A&M. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was like three, three games. Yeah. Three or four at A&M. And then he had that one, you know, random start when Baker got suspended, but that was, you know, it wasn't a real star cause he played one series. So yeah. And you know, I, like I, I definitely, I, I appreciate Jacob with the, with the three word review. Um, I you know I think he's I I think he's being a little too little a little too graceful here. Um, he's what well, I I'm trying to think what Rattler has started. I think this is going to be his 16th start in Manhattan coming up here. His 15th or 16th. See what they, what they go uh, what nine and two last season they played 11 games I think. So this will be game five this year. So yeah, get, so 16th start. His 16th start. And I, I got I to gotta tell you, man, through 16 games, we knew exactly who Trevor Knight was. We knew exactly who Blake Bell was. We knew exactly who Landry Jones was. Um, there's, I, what I would say is there's not a very good track record for guys getting dramatically better after that many starts at the quarterback position in college. I, I really don't think that there is. Well, I'll bring this up right now in case I forget. I was going to save it for the Kansas State talk, but I did go back today and I, you know, I, I rewatched the game from last season because I was curious to see what Kansas State's defense was doing. And that showed me like Kansas State's defense is different this year compared to last year. And then I started kind of watching the game. And I was texting you about this. I mean, Rattler looks like a different player. And this was his second career start. He looks so much more comfortable. He's not throwing off his back foot. He's stepping up in the pocket. He's... And my thought was the offensive line was a huge reason for that. I mean, he was having plenty of time to throw easy pot. Like he wasn't, he was so in his mind at that time, all he had known was clean pockets, good players around him. And he was performing really well. Yeah. He threw a couple of picks in that game. Fine. But for the most part, he was, he was really good up until the very end, whenever the pressure started coming on and Kansas State got, got after him. And then you kind of saw him leaving the pocket early and, feeling pressure when it wasn't there when there's was a little bit of you know, a little bit of pressure in the game but early on in that game and for the most part in that game he looked like a different player I mean he was stepping into throws or, or for the he at the very least he wasn't throwing off of his back foot he had a nice base he was making accurate throws and he just looked so comfortable within the offense throwing the ball down the field finding guys and it just it, it's so it was a good I'm glad I watched it because it was so striking to me that in his second start he looked a lot more comfortable to me than he looked last Saturday against West Virginia and against Nebraska a couple of weeks ago. 
So uh, is it is it because of the offensive line inconsistencies against West Virginia? I think that was a big part of it. But the offensive line's been pretty good at pass protecting this season before that game. So it's it's he's definitely something's off. Something's not the same. He was he was better last season as far as just the way he looked in the pocket, his comfort level, and throwing the football down the field. And then you gotta, I mean, I think it's fair to question whether or not, just in the offseason, he didn't do a very good job of critiquing himself or being coached in the offseason. Cause or I guess, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't showing up that much last season, it's like or know, this is the first time he's really faced, uh, you know, he's had an offensive line that's this inconsistent. And he's not used to but it. That, the thing is, though, like, and this is what, like, the pass pro was good in the first three games. He was not under pressure a lot at all in the first three games. And that obviously changed against West Virginia. But, like, it, I mean, it's not acceptable as an excuse in the first three games. Yeah. All right, we have one more three-word review, and this will be a perfect transition into our Kansas State talk. From our cousin James, he says, easier next week. Uh, okay, well, I don't know about that, James. Uh, we get it. You're a K-State fan, and you're, uh, you know, you're, you're self-deprecating thoughts on the Wildcats because they just lost to Oklahoma State. You do know, James, that Kansas State's won the last two times against Oklahoma. I, I'm pretty sure he probably remembers that. All right, let's talk about Oklahoma-Kansas State. Oklahoma is a 10.5-point favorite coming into Manhattan on Saturday, 230 kick. And let's begin with Oklahoma's defense against Kansas State's offense because you know, potentially the biggest story of this game is Skylar Thompson, the quarterback. And Tuesday, Chris Kleiman said that he's not likely to play, but I know that I talked to Dean, Dean Blevins at News 9 on Tuesday, and he says that he's kind of hearing that they're thinking that Skylar Thompson's going to play. So is Chris Kleiman just a dirty liar? Perhaps. perhaps. Well, if he, I mean, if he literally said not likely to play, there's plenty of plenty of room in there for him to not be lying he can just say what it wasn't <laughs> likely and he got better you played no i know i know so here's the thing i uh let me look at my notes out here i am i'm operating under the assumption that he's not gonna play i'm, I'm gonna trust chris Kleiman because it's it's a knee thing he had a, he has a knee injury and it happened on september 11th against southern illinois and it was a weird injury i went back and watched the video he doesn't get contacted on the play at all uh, but he kind of had to be helped a little bit off the field. He kind of was limping off the field. He kind of had to get helped off. And he's running to try and get ahead of Deuce Vaughn to try to help block for him. And he puts his right foot down on the turf as he's running, like everyone runs normally. And right when his foot touches the ground, you could tell he starts to feel some discomfort. And all of a sudden, like, he, he, his left foot takes a step, his right foot goes again, and it, it's very ginger. And then he, like, he, he goes down. He can't, he can't go anymore. He, like, he falls over. And it just—it was a very weird injury. It didn't seem like much, uh, and like those no, no non-contact injuries are always kind of like maybe more scary because you're like, oh no, like you, the main one you always think of is ACL or something. But like he wasn't cutting; he was just running straight ahead. So it's a—it's a weird injury. It didn't seem like much. This Saturday will be three weeks from that first injury, and Kleiman has said that sure he can throw, he can throw the ball just fine. It's just. If he can't run, then he's not going to be ready to play. And my thing is, okay, like, I, I, I think next week was kind of their initial thought. So if he came back this week, it'd be earlier. My thought is, like, if he does come back and play this week, I don't know if he's going to be 100%. He had a gigantic brace on his right leg before the game against Oklahoma State last week. 
So that, that, that's the thing. I mean, Skylar Thompson has absolutely murdered Oklahoma the last two years when Oklahoma has lost to Kansas State. And so, Grant, I'll throw it over to you. I know that you're, uh, you're of the mind, though, that uh, you're a little cynical. You think, you think Skylar Thompson's going to play, be 100%, and throw for 900 yards? Yeah, I, I, don't have any, I don't have any inside information. It's just uh, this is just the cynical nature of my OU fandom coming out. He's almost certainly going to play. If there's a chance at all that he can be breathing on that day and play, he's going to play. And then you're right. Yeah, he's, he's going to throw for 400 yards, complete 90% of his passes. He's, 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 he's going to look like Peyton Manning for a day. Or I guess, I don't know, what would be a better comparison because he can, he can move. But I don't know. I mean, if you want to take the half glass Colin full Kaepernick, approach to it. Colin Kaepernick when he was good. How about that? If you want to take the half glass, yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure. If, if you want to take the half glass full approach to it, I don't know. If he's not 100%, I do like the idea of OU's defensive line chasing him down the entire game. That sounds okay. That sounds like it would be something that would maybe put a bit of a pause in Chris Kleiman's head. Maybe, uh, do I want to open him up against what is definitely going to be the best defensive line we play this season? Um, but also, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if he, like I, I told you before we, got, before we came on here, I don't know if he needs to be 100% healthy to motion Deuce Vaughn into the slot and throw slants. Okay, so if if you're thinking that they're going to actually want him a lot more for his passing abilities. Yes. yes. Hmm. So in a way, he could be... So what, what they've been doing, and I'll just give you guys a heads up. I've rewatched, or I shouldn't say rewatched. I have watched because I, I certainly didn't watch these games when they first aired. Uh, I watched the K-State-Nevada game, and I watched the game from last week against Oklahoma State. I didn't watch the Stanford game uh, because that was, you know, the, the first game of the season. Time has gone by, and also... Skylar Thompson was a quarterback, and, and I'm operating, again, under the assumption that he's not really going to play in this game. But I think you make a good point. If they're thinking of him as more of like the passer, what they've been doing with him out, they've been using Will Howard, obviously, and they've been using another quarterback, with which, I, of course, I didn't write his name down, Jaron something, uh, who's like been more of their passing quarterback. So if Thompson is able to you know, walk around, in theory, I guess Will Howard could, yeah, he could start and stuff, but instead of having this third stringer be their passing quarterback, maybe then Skylar Howard is actually their guy that they go in and be the passer. But if that's so obvious, though, for Oklahoma, that he's like kind of just there to pass and he really is ever going to run, doesn't that limit Kansas State's offense quite a bit, though, if he is looked at as, as the guy that's only going to be throwing the ball mostly? I mean, if you want to look at it that way too, I could I could argue that if Will Hart if Will Howard was in there, it would be limiting their ability to throw the ball too. Like I don't know, I I as just as a college football fan and a guy who watches it, I'm always much more scared of the pass than I am the run. Always. Okay. Jaron Lewis, by the way, has been the third stringer. That's been the guy that comes into pass. And, and yeah, Will Howard is he's not the greatest passer against Nevada. I thought he was pretty good. He didn't. You know, they don't ask him to throw the ball a lot. He was seven of ten like 120 yards, had a long touchdown pass, but most of his damage was done on the ground running the football. And I think Will Howard, can, he can run it just as, just as good as Skylar Thompson. It's just what you've pointed out is like the passing difference of them, the talent. I think, Howard is, is, a, is, I think Howard is likely a better runner than Thompson. Howard's a big guy. He's big, and he's, he, he moves he really big, well yeah. when you watch him. He's, he's a guy, I mean, he, he's, uh, he's a lot smoother with his delivery and everything, but he's, and he's probably a little faster, but he's not that dissimilar to, to Colin Klein. Um, mm. in term, just in terms of size, his length, the way that he can move. Um, so no, I mean, I think, it's, I, I think 
the thing that just sort of freaks me out is that I, I I do think that what the defense wants to do and their game plan for both of these guys is going to be radically different. Um, and and so that's why you know Chris Kleiman has zero incentive to be truthful about Skylar Thompson's status for this game. He shouldn't be. It'd be it'd be foolish to be truthful about it, just because they're gonna have to they're they're, they're going to do a lot of different things. Like if Will Howard is in there, you're going to see a ton of pre snap motion, lots of jet sweeps, lots of a lot of that stuff, a lot of the quarterback run game. Whereas I think if you do see Skylar Thompson, it is going to be a lot more of getting matchups one on one in the passing game. That's a lot. That's very different. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, again, maybe that. Uh, I'm sure you watched. Did you watch any of the Stanford K State game? Or yeah, I watched the like first for fun? half. I watched the first half. So, so what? Did, I mean, because the offense against Nevada and the offense against Oklahoma State doesn't feature or didn't feature a whole lot of situations where Kansas State spread everybody out, you know, had, you know, two by two or two by three sets empty, you know. Did you see a decent amount of that against Stanford or was it Kansas State's offense? No, where there's a lot I, of tight I can't stuff? really. When Deuce Vaughn got loose, they I mean, it was on. Stuff. Yeah, when Deuce Vaughn got loose, it was on. It was inside zone when he got loose and had had his long touchdown. I didn't see a ton of uh, a ton of effort to get Deuce Vaughn the ball in the passing game in space, but like also. I'm not freaking stupid. What do you, you think? They're just you think they just threw that part of their playbook out? Like no, no, no of course not. I mean they they absolutely killed Oklahoma with it. And it took them until the second half really to figure it out. Or eh, yeah, they're, second half last season to kind of figure it out. I just like I, I fully going into this game expecting that they're going to try to get Deuce Vaughn twenty five to thirty touches for sure. They'd be foolish not to do that. Uh, and I mean Oklahoma State was able to bottle him up, and that was really impressive. And uh. I, I mean that's that's obviously the key. Well, like actually, we we got some Deuce Vaughn stuff here coming up. I I did want to keep talking quarterbacks here just briefly. Okay, Skylar Thompson's numbers against Oklahoma the last two years, just to get that out there, five hundred and fifty yards, roughly. It's like five forty seven, five fifty sounds better. Five hundred and fifty yards passing, one touchdown. That came last year to Jebastian Taylor, that deep ball on third and eighteen, where he beat Trey Brown, and he has seven rushing touchdowns. <laughs> seven t- whereas like that's been their plan their play when they get into the red zone as they run the ball with Skylar Thompson and they've absolutely killed Oklahoma with it the last two years that's another thing I was I you know I, I wanted to bring up there's a there's definitely an aspect of pride going into this game for OU and if Alex Grinch and Jamar Kane and Brian Odom are not in their ear about the quarterback off tackle power that has been an automatic touchdown for any team that wants to run it the last two seasons, they're going to see it in this game a lot. If they are not challenged to come in and stop that play, I mean, I don't even know what we're doing here. It's, it's gotten to the... Mm-hmm. I am so frustrated watching that play. You know it's coming, and they just can't stop it. Why? Yeah. Why? They couldn't stop it. Yeah, it, you know, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> the irony of everything is that the last really good defensive performance against Kansas State came when Ruffin McNeil was a defensive coordinator in, in 2018. And they, I think they held Kansas State to like 14 points. And they beat the crap out of them. Uh, and was Skylar Thompson the quarterback yeah, then he in was. 2018? He was, yeah. So it, that's, man, how, that's such a, it's so ironic that <laughs> that was like one of the, the only good games uh, that, that Oklahoma played defensively whenever Mike Stoops got fired. Uh, I, I do want to put this point this out, though. And yes, Will Howard, we know he's not as good of a thrower as Skylar Thompson. I will give him credit, though. And you saw this because we talked about this before the podcast against Oklahoma State. Howard came out 
And he, I thought he, he looked pretty well. Like, he looked pretty good. He didn't look pretty well. He looked pretty good. He was taking shots. He was challenging Oklahoma State's corners, throwing the ball down the field. And Oklahoma State's corners, to their credit, made three to four competitive plays on the football to break up potential big plays and potential touchdown passes, again, in that first quarter. I thought his ball placement was pretty good in that part of the game. Like, if Oklahoma's corner, Oklahoma State's corners don't make those plays, those are big plays, and that's, that, that's Will Howard getting into a groove and, and hitting plays over the top. So my point is, he, he does do that. He can do that. It's up to, though, Oklahoma's secondary, if Will Howard is the guy that plays mostly, to make those competitive plays on the ball and not make it easy on him because he's a guy that's not that good of a passer. Okay, go take advantage of it like Oklahoma State did. But what I'm, we've seen Oklahoma's secondary. It's not. It's been fine. It hasn't been as good as we hoped it would be. They've given up stuff. Gave up a lot of stuff to Adrian Martinez. Gave up some underneath stuff to Jarrett Deggie. Uh, if the throwing windows are pretty well defined and easy for Will Howard, he can make those throws. If it's clearly one-on-one, he's got to just put the ball in the spot, he can probably do that. I mean, I did see him miss one really bad third down throw against Oklahoma State that was kind of the last ball he had that night. Uh, but it's it's there, so Oklahoma will be tasked early on with making sure that he doesn't get any confidence and he, they make competitive plays on the ball and don't allow Will Howard to make those completions down the field. Deuce Vaughn. All right, Grant. So we talked about him a little bit. Uh, and you said it, what, 25, 30 touches, they're going to probably try to get them. You know, why wouldn't they try to get the most advantageous matchups like last season, split them out wide, you know, run some Texas routes out of the backfield against Oklahoma's linebackers. Credit to Oklahoma State's defensive line, though. They were really good against Kansas State. So I see that, and I think, okay, there's no excuse for Oklahoma's defensive line. They should be able to get penetration and play smart. And the key with Oklahoma and with anybody against Kansas State is the edge defenders have to stay home and play contain because there's a lot of quarterback run designed to exploit that aggressive edge player crashing down. And Nevada got burned on that multiple times. Oklahoma's been burned on that this year. And I watched the game last season. They were burnt on that down down low, uh, you know, deep into the red zone. The speed D is so aggressive, but my God, please stay home defensive ends. There's trust your teammates, <laughs> Sometimes it's your job just to hang out and be a contained player. There's 10 other guys on the field. Like you, you look stupid whenever you crash down to try to help out on a running back give and the quarterback keeps it and there's nobody there because you're the edge player. Unless, and I think we've debated this before in the past, and I don't think we had any sort of resolution, unless Oklahoma's defense is supposed to have something where like a linebacker scrapes off the edge and is the contained player. on the. But I don't know why that would be a thing on the backside where a lot of these things happen. I've never seen that before. So please stay at home. What are your thoughts on Deuce Vaughn and just kind of that idea? Well, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with all of that. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, if, if Isaiah Thomas could finish, his numbers right now would be astronomical. And Yeah, he needs to stay at home. If, if he stays at home, he can probably get some tackles. But he's, he's yeah. There was he, one, yeah. there was he a sack that he, there was a sack that he missed on Daigie last week. And I, I, I rewatched it five or six times and I was like, how on earth did he miss that? How? Right. And like, it's, it's kind of a problem. That's been an issue with IT since last year. Like it's where like he's, he's going, um, he's going too fast. So he's going like a million, like he can't, he's not, like Nick Benito's a guy that's like under control fast. It's, he's like learned it, you know? It seems like he's always kind of under control. Isaiah is not there, man. He's still, he's going a million miles. He's not been able to 
be, you know, maybe he's got to slow down just a tick to be under control, but him slowing down just a tick is still really quick and fast because he's a talented player. Um, is that, yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that could be a lot of it. Um, uh, when I, when I was rewatching, I can't remember if I, if I mentioned this on, uh, on the post game pod, but, uh, Man, I thought uh, in a game where you know Jalen Redmond was was a late week scratch, and we found out you know he's going to be out for a month or so. Um, man, Corey Roberson came up really big on Saturday night, and he was he he was playing you know some snaps in that three tech where where Jalen Redmond would be, and he he might be a dude, he he might be a guy who oh you can really lean on. Um, so yeah, I mean you know coming into this game, I hope we see a lot. Uh, I, I I hope we see that front of of Winfrey Thomas and Roberson paired with Benito a lot, because uh, I think he's you know and, and Ellison's been fine this year. Ellison he's been he's been good at times. Uh, Roberson's been better though, and I, I think Roberson is a guy that you probably want out there more often. And last thing on you know Deuce Vaughn, and it's not necessarily Deuce Vaughn. It's Kansas State running backs. I do want to mention that I noticed against Nevada they have another guy named Joe Irvin. And he looked like a Deuce Vaughn clone at times against Nevada. Just a little little jitterbug type player. Averaged seven and a half per carry. Scored a really nice touchdown against Nevada. But he was non-existent against Oklahoma State last week. Just had one carry. So I don't know. Maybe it was just the Nevada game where he was a big part of the game plan. Uh, but I'm sure it's one of those things where if they feel like they can exploit Oklahoma and they don't need just Deuce Vaughn, they have somebody else, they'll, they'll obviously use him because he's, he's, a, he's a decent player. And last week do, it could have... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I saw him against Stanford a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a good athlete. Um, haven't seen enough of him to like any, make any sort of determination. Um, I'm sure last week the game script probably just got too screwy for him to be in there. Like that was a the first quarter of that game last was so weird. Uh, I mean, there yeah. was a uh, there was a kickoff return for a touchdown and a and a fumble in the end zone for a touchdown in the first half of that game or the first quarter, um, and so. And then, yeah, I mean, K-State got down 28 to 10. And so maybe in that sense, they're just like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to keep Deuce Vaughn out there the entire time. Yeah, I think it was actually ended up being 31 to 10. Uh, Oklahoma State didn't score after halftime. <laughs> it's, as good as their offense played in that game, they didn't score any point. They missed a couple of long field goals and penalties really hurt them. They It, it pushed them back at inopportune times in the second half of that game. So that also is a reason why they didn't score. Yeah, I thought but Oklahoma State. Did, uh, Oklahoma State yeah. kind of looked uh, a lot more of kind of what people are expecting them to look like last week. Um, I don't know. That was a. It's interesting. I mean, yeah. It, it would it surprise anyone if if Oklahoma State ends up being the team that challenges OU the most at, at that. I don't. Historically, it would be the most likely. So we'll see. Sure. So yeah, uh, this is not going to be a controversial statement. I think if Oklahoma limits Deuce Vaughn, like Oklahoma State did. Uh, I don't see how Kansas State is going to be able to score a lot of points in this game, and that's because the next part of uh, Kansas State's offense, is, you know, aside from Deuce Vaughn, Kansas State's skill position players this season have been very quiet. Phillip Brooks is their leading receiver, 11 catches for 170 yards, and then there's Malik Knowles with only nine grabs for 150. Neither one of them has scored a touchdown. Neither one of those guys historically – at least the last two years, have done anything special against Oklahoma. And I mentioned Chebastian Taylor earlier in the podcast because that touchdown he had last uh, last year against Oklahoma. I, to me, like, at times last year, he, he, looked like the, he looked like their best receiver. He ain't playing this season. I think he's banged up. I think he's got some sort of injury. 
he didn't have a catch right now. I'm not sure if he's even been active in games. So a guy that I thought might have been one of their best receivers isn't even playing right now. So I, it's Deuce Vaughn is kind of the guy you have to slow down. And this has got all the makings, Grant, of a situation where uh, some – I mean, Nick, Knowles and Brooks aren't random players, but they haven't done a whole lot this year. <laughs> but it has all the makings of those guys maybe having their best games of the season – against Oklahoma's defense because uh, Kansas State's played so well against Oklahoma the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, they have a tight end that had a big play against Nevada, but he hasn't done anything since then. He has a crazy name that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But, uh, yeah, I just – I don't know if you have anything on this at all. I just wanted to point out how, like, the skill position guys, you know, outside of Deuce Vaughn, it's been a whole lot of kind of nothing for Kansas State this season. Uh, you know, Malik Knowles returned to kick for a touchdown last week against Oklahoma State. Uh, he's a guy who is, I mean, since 2019, I've, you know, physically, I thought that he looks pretty good at times. Uh, but yeah, you know, still has never been a huge impact player against OU. Um, you know, I yeah, the cynical side of me says, ah, perfect, perfect time for all, perfect game for all of them to break out then. Okay, I will say this, though, I, about the tight end I just referenced. I will say his name because I got the pronunciation and he is definitely part of the all name team in college football. His name is Daniel E. Matter Bebe. <laughs> and uh, here's the thing about this guy. This is a quick aside. This is his seventh year in college. Seventh year. His first year was 2015. But he had to sit out because he transferred. Because he originally signed with Florida. Went through spring practice. But then transferred to USC before the fall. So he had to sit out. Then he played at USC from 2016 to 2019, but injuries kept him out of the 2018 season and the 2019 season. So poor guy, bad luck. And then he transferred to Illinois last year, had like three catches, and then he transfers to Kansas State <laughs> to play this season. And I'm assuming his last year in college, but at this point, I you know I don't know. Like who knows? I, so he probably years of eligibility yeah and of course you know played for a bunch of different programs but followed kind of the same jason white six-year medical red shirt path and then he got the free year for covid so that makes sense man but uh, he had a touchdown against nevada where uh, hopefully oklahoma is ready for this play it was not that much of a, a crazy design but he just went straight up the field gave a little little uh little double move to the safety playing too deep and was wide open up the seam and Will Howard hit him for a like 65-yard touchdown. So that's in their playbook. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, again, you know, what did I say last week? The biggest mismatch in every game that they play the rest of the season is going to be their defensive line against the other team's offensive line. That That is just the case. Um, how will Kansas State's game plan reflect that? Are we going to see a lot of what, like kind of what West Virginia did last week, which is get the ball out under any circumstance? Like not not a lot of two and two and three step uh, step drops at all. Even um, are they going to roll? If, if if it's Will Howard, are they going to roll the pocket out a lot to get him away from pressure? Uh, will they be able to do that if it's Skylar Thompson? Um, that's that's going to be the thing that I'm watching really closely. How does Kansas State's play calling reflect the mismatch in the trenches in this game? And can, hey, Kansas State they have all their starters back from last year's offensive line, um, but OU is going to be able to get is is going to be able to get into the backfield in this game. Uh, the, the question is, where's the ball going to be when they are in the backfield? Well said. Yeah, well, the aggressiveness of Oklahoma 
work against them like it has in the past against Kansas State with with Alex Grinch being the defensive coordinator. So that's a big, uh, you know, looking at you linebackers, do not fall for the eye candy, eye discipline. You got to fill. And the linebacking core has been, well, is disappointment too strong of a word? I think that might be too strong of a word, but they, they have not played, you know, as well as, you know, we, we'd hope they would be. Uh, I, I think disappointment I, I think you is Deshaun White. I think disappointment is apt. I mean, it's yeah, they've been yeah, very disappointing. I mean, they, they, given the the veterans in that room, and uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Deshaun White, I thought played well last game. Uh, Ooh, Brian Asamoah, no, I don't think he did. And he was one of the guys that kept going for the running back and allowing for a slant pass to be wide open, which makes me wonder. He kept doing it. Was he supposed to be doing it? And if so, that's bad scheme. That's bad scheme by Oklahoma because, ah, uh, boy. I mean, sorry, I don't, here, I'll, I'll, I'll let you get to this, what you're going to say, but I will just point out the, one, the very first time, very first play, the, you know, third and five, first drive for West Virginia. Oklahoma was playing cover two. And we know Oklahoma plays cover two a lot on third down, right? We've been, we've been told that, talked to Dusty a lot about that. It's third down. They're playing cover two. So the corner has the flats. Linebacker has the curl alley. And then the middle linebacker has like deep down the field. And Brian Osamoa is playing the will linebacker spot. So he's got the curl hook area on, in cover two. Nice jam by DJ Graham at the top of the screen. Nice jam. Sets, sells on the cover two. You got the running back goes out into the flats. But DJ Graham has flats in cover two. He's there in case they want to throw to the running back. When the running back starts to run out, Brian Osamoa makes a beeline for the running back like he's playing man coverage. And that opens up a wide open spot for the receiver who was jammed by DJ Graham to run a little quick slant route and be wide open for an easy first down. Everybody was playing cover two except for Brian Asamoah. He plays his job there. He hangs out in that hook spot. Either he makes an interception, the ball is incomplete, or there is a sack because right whenever Jarrett Deggie passed it, immediately after that, Nick Benito nailed him. And that goes back to all the stuff that we've been talking about going back to the preseason and early on this year is you know, the secondary and the linebackers need to help out this defensive line because the defensive line can only get to a quarterback so fast. And this is a scenario watching in that game where one guy didn't do their job and that led to a third down conversion. Whereas if he just does his job, there is no chance West Virginia converts that third down. Again, one of three things happen. Incomplete pass, an interception, or a sack. And then that happened multiple times throughout the game where that linebacker and it was Brian Osamoa a lot but it wasn't always him would run after that flat running back and the corner would play zone defense and that window would open up for the slant route and it happened multiple times there was one time where it looked like Oklahoma had adjusted to it and they actually played it right and the throw wasn't there Deggie had to go away from the throw and, and I can't remember if I think it might have been an incomplete pass or he he had to throw it away they did their job the one time, but multiple other times they didn't do their job. And it makes me think, why? Why is that happening? It's an interesting thing, to, a very interesting thing to point out. Very. Um, you know, because obviously DJ Graham would have the flats and the running back in that situation. Um, yep. Really good question. Obviously, I don't have a good answer for it. What I was going to ask and I you. I actually. Go ahead. I will say this real quick. I asked Dusty Dvorak on Sunday about that. I, I said, hey, I want to get your opinion. What's happening on this play? And he brought up he has all twenty two. He brought it all up, and he he was like, "Yeah, man, I they're in cover too. I I don't know. He's like, 
And I was like, how does that happen, Dusty? He said, wait, how does you know, college kids, how does defensive communication, how do busts happen? Coaches have been asking that since the beginning of time, man, which is like not a good enough answer. <laughs> it's like, that's not good enough. I'm sorry. Like, well, because, yeah, it's, you're right. It shouldn't be because, I mean, if you know the call is cover two, then you yeah. know you're in a zone and you're not following running backs. So either he was trying to make a play like he thought, oh, boom, I'm on this. He's going he's gonna to throw this over to the running back and I'm, I'll make this awesome play. Or he thought it was man and everybody else thought it was cover two. It's, so anyways, you were going to say something. Hopefully you didn't just forget. You were going to say something. Oh, uh, no, ago. no. It was, it was about the linebackers. But um, do we see Danny Stutzman on Saturday and does he start? Well, Lincoln Riley, he didn't commit to him being available. He said he's getting closer. Uh, sounds like Delarian Turner yell will probably play. I know that it's not that bad. I don't. I mean, if he's healthy to play, yeah, he'll definitely play. Um, he's. I would guess, but then again, he's coming back from probably a, a weird injury, and uh, you know, I, he's got a pretty high tolerance for pain. I think uh, Riley said he's a, he's a tough guy. Like it's kind of surprising that he's he's kind of doing as well as possible for whatever the injury is. It's his arm or his elbow or something like that. So. Um, yeah, I mean, once he gets back healthy, I'm curious to see how they implement him back into the lineup. It was uh, it was it was Teddy. Teddy Lehman hinted heavily, or at least he 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 feels that that Stutzman is probably going to be ready on Saturday. Good. Um, and he's I I think he said in the past, or at least he's heavily hinted at it that once he's back fully healthy, he's he's their guy. He's the number one guy. So um, I like we'll see if that's the case. Um, one of the things you know, one of the takeaways I had from that Western Carolina game, and one of the concerns I had was. Man, it's it's great that Danny Stutzman looks so good, but it's a little concerning that he looks like the most instinctual and natural linebacker of anyone on the roster. That's a, that's that feels like a problem. It's almost like, yeah, I agree with you, and it's it's like he's so new to everything. It's almost like it, it, it's 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 similar, not anywhere near the same way as last year with Rattler. But it's like everything was so new to Rattler, and he like his entire life he'd been the guy, and like. He was just so smooth and he played really well. And it's almost like now a year has gone by and there's been more time to think and more time to go through stuff. It's almost like paralysis by analysis. How much? And now he's not really necessarily playing as well as he did at times last season. What if the linebackers are thinking too much and they just they don't know? Like, whereas like Stutzman's brand new. He's like, whatever, I'm playing. I played football my entire life or whatever. Like, I've always been the best player. Like, I'm just gonna go to the ball. Like, this is this is football. And like, he's making plays. Whereas like. Those like Asamoah and White and those guys like early on in their careers probably felt the same way, but now for whatever reason, it's not clicking because maybe they're thinking too much about their certain assignment or being here. Or, whereas like that's against speed D. The whole idea of speed D is simple simplification, fly around and make plays. And uh, those those guys, there's been very few plays made this year by the linebacking core. But again, I will say, I thought Deshaun White played pretty well against West Virginia. He was flying around. Yeah, Deshaun White's actually. Deshaun White's played pretty well, really, since just the the Tulane debacle, which he was he was terrible against Tulane. Uh, but he's he, he's definitely righted the ship at least a little bit since then. He's been their most steady linebacker for sure. But it seems like yeah, Asamoa and Aguebu have been quiet, and those are two guys that I think we would have said we did say before the year like those are two maybe the most probable NFL type linebackers. If Oklahoma I think Asamoa is, I think Asamoa has arguably been poor this year. Has been bad a lot of the time this year. And Igwebu is just sort of hasn't really been there. He's just been sort of there. <laughs> like, Except for that one play against Tulane. He had a nice play against Tulane. He had the one then, really like, nice, yeah, the think, rundown. 
I can't think of anything else that he's really done uh, so far. Uh, let's flip the script. Let's go to Oklahoma's offense against Kansas State's defense. And the Wildcats defensive coordinator, Joe Klanderman, has changed the defensive scheme for K-State in the offseason. They're now going with a 3-3-5, so that makes you think of Iowa State. And the question is, what does that mean for Oklahoma? And we've hinted at this already. We've mentioned this a couple times. It's simple. You've got to be able to run the football. Oklahoma's had success running in the past against this style of defense, but it's one of those things where you're coming off a game where Oklahoma managed just 57 yards rushing. So it just makes you kind of go, uh. and also you look at the stats, Kansas State's defense is one of the best teams in college football against the run. They're like top 10 against the run. They're only allowing 75 yards per game. So this Iowa State style type of defense, Iowa State's great against the run too. For whatever reason, this defense is really good at stopping the run. But I will say this, though. Oklahoma State, the stats don't look that great. They only gained, as a team, 3.2 yards per carry against Kansas State, which is not good. But I thought, overall, Oklahoma State did run the ball pretty good against Kansas State, especially early on in the game whenever Oklahoma State built up its big lead. Jalen Warren was getting seven, eight yards per carry. I mean, six, nine yards per carry. And he ended up averaging 4.6 for the game. So whenever the game was kind of in doubt, they were running the ball pretty well against Kansas State. And in the second half, it wasn't quite there. But uh, it, would you agree, Grant? I mean, that's it's the key to everything. But specifically in this game, the way Oklahoma's offense is playing, they got to be able to run this, run the ball against this type of defense. Yeah, I, you know, I, I completely agree. You're going to have to be able to run the ball against what a lot of the time is going to be a five or six man box. Um, and we'll see. I mean, this is this is kind of a put up or shut up game for OU. And so, what I would say is Kansas State has not has not faced one formidable running attack yet. Um, Oklahoma State just in general has struggled on offense the entire season. Uh, you go back and watch that. Stanford doesn't know what they're doing on offense, or at least they definitely didn't or at in least the first back then. Yeah, and in that game, uh, you know, they played a, a FCS team, and then Nevada who is a, a Mountain West team who is who is known for throwing the ball, and I, I can't imagine that they're a strong running team at all. Um, um, that, that doesn't mean no, they, they, that doesn't mean that OU but, is going to have a ton of success. I'm just saying K-State hasn't really been tested in that regard yet. Um, now, it's completely a fair question whether or not what we've seen from OU's offense can qualify as a test for K-State's defense, too. Um, this is, I mean, I don't... Chunk chunk plays in the passing game, I think we need to start assuming are not going to be there and they're not going to happen. Um, so you gotta you gotta get the chunk play somewhere. And so I mean that that's that's a lot of lot of pressure on Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks. And, you know, hopefully Mike Woods, Jaden Hazelwood, Mim, Stoops in space. Uh, but they haven't done a good job of getting any of those guys' balls in space, except maybe for Mike Woods a little bit. Yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, teams have thrown the football in Kansas State. I mean, the Wildcats are 101st in college football in pass defense. Uh, Carson Strong, who's an NFL draft prospect for Nevada, he did okay. I mean, he made, some, he made some wow throws just with his arm strength. He fit the ball into some tight windows here and there. There was a third and 20 where he just he, – like he made a – like you were talking about uh, the Skylar Thompson stuff. Were we talking about that on this podcast? No, that was off the air. Off we were the talking air. about Skylar Thompson and – yeah, we're talking about you're talking about Skylar Thompson in 2019 about all the different all the different balls he fit into <laughs> all the different footballs he fit into tight windows. <laughs> uh, Carson Strong did that a couple of times where it was like, whoa, like that was he that was a big time NFL throw where it's like that there's a tight window. Uh, and I mean, Rattler can do that, but he has not he has not really unleashed his arm strength a whole lot this year. It's all because he's 
he's not throwing from a sturdy base a lot of the time. But overall, though, Carson Strong was was just okay against Kansas State. Uh, Spencer Sanders, though, last week, he was able to get the ball out a lot, a healthy amount of chunk plays last week. Uh, and I was talking to Dusty last weekend, uh, like I mentioned, he, he thought that that was Spencer Sanders' best game against a Big 12 team. In his I thought career. he looked really good. Yeah. He looked comfortable. He looked under control. Uh, he made plays. But, you know, again, I only watched the first quarter and a half. I, I stopped watching once they got to 28 points. Um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was much in the second half. Second half was not nearly as good. It was a lot in the first half. There was a couple of chunk plays in the second half. And again, penalties really put Oklahoma State behind the eight ball after halftime. But I liked how Spencer was pushing the ball down the field. He was finding guys into the second level of the defense where it seems like that's pulling teeth right now for Spencer Rattler. And so I don't know if there's stuff on film that he can look at that Oklahoma can use that to maybe get, get Spencer Rattler kind of in a groove. But uh, yeah, he, and his arm looks stronger than normal. Like he, looked, he had some pretty good arm strength too on some of those passes. Uh, all right, so I guess, I mean, not good news for Kansas State, but you know, a guy that really gave Oklahoma problems last season was Khalil Duke, and he's out for the year. The defensive end for Kansas State. Yeah, he's probably he was probably the so, best defensive player last year. Um, so that's you know that's that's a pretty big blow for them. Um, you'll t- I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, obviously, you never never root for an injury, but also, he's he's probably fine. So it's going to be easier for was, OU to win the game. And the defense played pretty well after he left the game against Nevada. He left in the second quarter, so they played the entire second half without him. And and they, I mean, the defense was really good against Nevada, but against Oklahoma State was the first full game without him. And I mean, the defense, uh, you know, they got passed on a lot. Uh, they, they did pretty. I mean, I thought Oklahoma State ran the ball pretty well, but still statistically. Kansas State did pretty well against the run. Uh, but I, I still think the defensive line, even without him, is pretty good. I mean, uh, you got a guy, watch out for Felix Anyudike Uzama, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's pretty good, number 91. And then number 92, their big guy in the middle is Eli Huggins. And that's uh, and, and they're, they have another defensive end playing as their three-down lineman. They're, they're pretty good players. I mean, like, but the thing is, they, they were able to get pressure with three on Nevada a couple times. And if they get pressure with only three on Oklahoma at all in this game, it's going to make me very mad. Uh, you cannot let them get pressure with just three rushers because they don't do it all the time. They, they'll send pressure from exotic angles, whether from linebackers and stuff, which it's difficult to figure out where the pressure is coming from with Kansas State's defense. Kind of similar to an Iowa State plays. I mean, because they have kind of guys everywhere and they don't really show where they're going to be blitzing from or rushing from. And and that's the challenge for Spencer Rattler, man. I mean, that's why they're going to have to run the football because if they can't run the ball, he's going to be in a situation where they're playing a lot of zone coverage and he's going to have to dissect things. And he if he's not seeing it as well this season, which he has not, and if the pass rush gets to him, it could be it could be dicey, man. And, and uh, Yeah, it's my so biggest weird to concern. It's a Kansas State defense. By far my biggest concern in this game. You know Kansas State is going to disguise well. You know that they're going to throw stuff – uh, at Spencer Rattler, that's not on film, and I, you know, we're at the point right now where we have no idea how that's going to turn out. Probably not great, but yeah, I mean, because I mean, if if we see it, if we see it on Saturday, it's going to be the first time we've seen it this year. If he plays really well, so that's you know, what at what point does it get to kind of just like a shame on you territory, expecting something different when we know what it's going to be. Well, if he gets good pass protection this week and he has time to throw and he, and he still has problems finding open guys or pushing the ball down the field, then, and, you know, and his offensive line plays a lot better and he still kind of plays this 
kind of game manager type role he's been playing where he's kind of just a ball distributor here and there and not stretching the defense then yeah that it'll be another data point in our back pocket of like okay this guy is not the same uh and Kansas State's been able to get after the quarterback I mean they have 13 sacks this year that's just one fewer than Oklahoma uh I mean they're tied for 17th in college football so even with their you know three down linemen and you know sometimes only rushing three they've been able to get after the quarterback um you know they're they're middle of the pack in TFLs uh, and they forced six turnovers. You know, not not incredible, but not bad. I mean, that's kind of middle of the pack. I mean, Oklahoma's forced, you know, OU's forced eight turnovers this year. The whole takeaways thing hasn't been much of a problem right now for Oklahoma. I mean, that's I mean, two per game. It's because it's not. Average. It's it's not uh, because the offense isn't scoring off of them, so it doesn't feel like it. And that's what like that's why takeaways yeah. are so are so difficult to deal with is because usually they're quick score opportunities. And OU just like. So yeah, remember remember just the complimentary football buzzword from from 2018 and 2019. It's I mean it's just it's not happening right now. Just the it's just the the reality of it is just totally flipped on its head. It's the other way around it's so now. Crazy. And it's just like ah, the cynical side of me saw it coming, saw it coming. But like, but it it, it only would have been a feeling. It wouldn't have been anything like substance related. Hmm. Uh, okay, that's all I have on Oklahoma's offense versus K-State's defense. Mainly, they got to run the football. And what are we going to get from Spencer Rattler through the air? Uh, is there going to be enough protection for him to be able to die, dissect stuff? Because he was able to to pick this Kansas State secondary apart for most of the game last season. With the you know, and at the end of the game, it didn't work out that way. But uh, he played well against his team. But the defensive scheme has changed. So how will that change when it comes to Spencer Rattler? Grant. Uh, we're just going to say, hey, what is your feel for this game? What do you think? Uh, you don't have to make a prediction if you don't want to, but uh, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you, the, the, the final thoughts going into uh, OUK State? Well, I, you know, if everyone remembers, if anybody who's been listening to a long time, I've picked OU to lose three times on this podcast, three separate times. I'm sorry. I guess it's, it's four now that I think about it. I picked them to lose in Columbus against Ohio State. I unfortunately picked them to lose in the Rose Bowl. I picked them to lose in Morgantown against West Virginia. Uh, and then I um, actually, I think that's it. That's the only time I've ever picked them to lose. I'm sure you picked them to lose against LSU. Oh, oh no, I'm no, sorry. You, no, you picked a win in that game. No, 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 no. no that I was Alabama. Like, Alabama. I picked, I picked, that was the Alabama game. I picked them to win just as, just because everyone was like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to put, I'm going to put money on the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, no, it was LSU that okay. I said, I, I definitely picked LSU to win. I, I said, they had a small chance of winning that game, but no. So it's been four times. Uh, Ohio State, Rose Bowl, West Virginia, and against LSU. I I don't feel good about this game. Um, I I don't think they're going to win. I think Kansas State's going to beat them. Um, and it's going to be, I think we're going to see just very much the same OU team that we've seen the last four games. I don't think we're going to see much of a difference between... Spencer Rattler versus Nebraska and Spencer Rattler versus Kansas State. Um, and you know, I think it's gonna be close, but I think I think Kansas State's coaching staff is going to be able to is gonna be able to take advantage of what OU's defensive staff has put on tape. Um, and I think they're gonna be able to eat up the clock a ton in this game. They're gonna keep the ball out of OU's hands, and I think they're just they're they're going to make just enough like small surgical strikes. That are just good, that are going to be too big of a blow for OU, and I, I think Kansas State's going to win. Yeah, and, and 
it's not a crazy pick. I mean, they've obviously they've won the last two games against Oklahoma. Chris Kleiman has outcoached Oklahoma the last two games. And uh, I, the, my concerns about the defense and how simple it is and how high-level, smart offensive coaches will be able to find ways to move the football against Oklahoma's defense, that Chris Kleiman's certainly a smart coach, and they utilize film in a way, and they, they know how to leverage – uh, advantages here and there, and they've done it the last two years against Kansas, uh, against Oklahoma as three plus touchdown underdogs. So it's it's not a bad pick at all. Um, so my feelings, I'm neutral. I'm a neutral feeling this week. I don't I don't feel good about it. I don't feel bad about it. Uh, you know, the, the rewatch of that West Virginia game made me feel better about the offense. Uh, and and it, as in, it really wasn't all about Spencer Rattler being bad. It was just inconsistent play and pass protection. And I think that limited Rattler's ability to get comfortable in the game. And yeah, I mean, sure, you'd, you'd hope for him to make adjustments throughout the game and to figure it out more. But he did do enough, especially on that last drive, and Oklahoma won the football game. You know, Lincoln Riley talked about, we haven't talked about this at all yet in, in the show. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but Riley said that he showed clips from previous slow offensive starts to his team uh in this past week and he he referenced tennessee he referenced army the 2015 tennessee game and then the army game against uh you know 2018 and i i understand what he's doing and i hope it works i hope it works hope that the you know these guys need to see something to make them feel like okay yeah like we can get better like it's happened in the past blah 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 but i can't help but think that man those offenses had heisman trophy quarterbacks (laughs) <laughs> and right now that does not describe Spencer Rattler uh and so my gut now says Oklahoma wins the game but that's just because the Sooners haven't lost a game yet this season and they found a way each time and they they've been pushed and they found a way and I get the sense that they can do it again on the road in Manhattan uh you know a, a comfortable multiple touchdown win would be great obviously but you know we haven't seen that yet and, you know, you mix that in with Oklahoma's problems in the past with Kansas State in the last couple of years. And, I mean, you got to take the Wildcats plus the points, plus the 10.5. You have to. I mean, Oklahoma last covered in Manhattan in 2015. And you remember that game, Grant. Uh, they won 55 to nothing. That game was uh, an but since absolute then, evisceration. That's, that's, yeah. that's one of the least competitive games OU has played in the last 20 years. That game was unfair. <laughs> also but a 230 game, kick uh, on a saturday maybe there's something well, there you know, well you know it was, yeah well it was also a 230 saturday kick in 2017 when oklahoma was losing at halftime and had to come back and, and beat kansas state by only a touchdown because thanks to rodney anderson and then of course remember 2019 oklahoma lost so i mean kansas state clearly took that 55 to nothing beat down personally because uh how did this 2016 game go do you remember off the top of your head? 2016, I think OU won by three touchdowns, and it was they were up by three okay. touchdowns virtually the entire game. Mixon, I think, had a big game. Uh, I think I think it was 38 to 17 was the final of that game. Okay, so Kansas State they've taken it personally in Manhattan <laughs> since that blowout, uh, and then obviously last year they they beat Oklahoma in Norman. So uh, take the points, take take Kansas State. And there's no way in heck I'm I'm going to lay any points, especially double digits with Oklahoma. But my feeling is, again, I'm neutral. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win the game. Uh, I think yeah, if they win, I, I think if they win, it's going to be by blowout. Um, I, Ooh. you know, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I am. I think if they win, they're going to they're they're going to take it to K State pretty good. I just, you know, we haven't talked at all. This is this is Spencer Rattler's first game, first true road game. 
with a full crowd and everything. I, you know, there were, they had half the crowd at Iowa State last year in that game. And still, that's still Spencer Rattler's best game as a college player. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. I don't know. Maybe being on the road, maybe he'll, he'll easy, like, he'll more easily be in kind of that fourth quarter, last drive zone that he was in. And he, he was very good on, on the last drive, you know, last week. So, um, I don't know, but when I when I bring that up, or like it kind of to me at least, it feels like I'm kind of grasping at straws a little bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, best case scenario is like, hey, going on the road for the first time this year. Maybe that's what this team's going to need. I mean, this team has liked playing on the road historically. Under yeah, and they still Riley. only they still only lost two true road games since 2014. Man, but yeah, that's a really interesting thing that Oklahoma has not experienced yet. That they will get, and, and Manhattan's a good place. I mean, when, when the fans are behind them, I mean, that's a, I mean, I was there in 2017. That was a pretty cool, cool atmosphere. I mean, it was a weird game because the whole time I remember thinking, why is Oklahoma letting this team with a running back who's playing quarterback hang in this game, Alex Delton? It was so ridiculous. Uh, but then, yeah, it was good. It was a good game. Uh, and you said you're going to the game? You're going to be there? All right, so we'll, we'll both be there. How about that? First, uh, b- first road game we've we, we both been at. In years. 2008, Texas A&M would be the last one. That's the last time I saw OU play on the road. Woo. And that was a blowout. Is that a good omen? Uh, uh, maybe it's a good omen. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Big 12, and let's talk about the national scene, make some picks. Uh, unless you have anything you want to talk about specifically about these games, I'll, just, I'll blaze right through them. Texas, TCU, I have nothing. Do you? Uh, you know, I don't have any thought. I mean, Texas beat the crap out of Texas Tech last week. Uh, this is this is obvious. Take TCU territory. Um, if hey, if, if Texas comes out and beats them, fine. I guess hats off. But I, you know, Texas has blown out lots of teams in the last ten years and then come out and lost the next week. So we'll uh, we'll see. We're we're, we're going to see if uh, if Sark's Texas is who we think they are, or if maybe they've kind of turned a corner a bit. But I think this is. It, for gambling purposes, I think it's pretty easy TCU take here. TCU getting five points. TCU plus five at home. And I want to say that TCU, uh, in the last, I don't know if it's like all throughout Gary Patterson's tenure or if it's just the last five years or whatever, TCU's been really good against Texas. I mean, they've, they've played them really well. So, yeah, I think I, I'm with you. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think TCU has only lost to Texas once since... TCU had that that really magical Trevon Boykin season. I mean, that's so that's the last seven or eight years. So, I mean, TCU just got embarrassed by Tanner Mordecai, gave up all those points to SMU. Uh, they're they're at home again. You know, they're at home last week. They got embarrassed at home, and now they're back home against a rival Texas, catching points. Yeah, I think the the smart play here, unless you're you know you're you're super sharp and you know a lot more about this game than we do. The sharp play has got to be TCU plus the points. Texas Tech is at West Virginia. West Virginia laying only seven against what could be a really bad Texas Tech team. That line seems weird, does it not? Doesn't it seem like it should be more than seven? Yep, yep, yep. So, so that makes me kind of think, what's going on? Well, I think Vegas probably doesn't respect West Virginia's offense a lot. And uh, Texas Tech actually has put up some pretty decent offensive numbers this season. And so maybe that's... That's kind of what they're looking yeah. at, but I don't know. I would stay. I'd stay super far away from that game. Yeah, that's that's a weird line. I don't like that line. 
Uh, Kansas is at Iowa State. Iowa State's laying 34. Just whatever, out of principle, who cares? Uh, and then Baylor's at Oklahoma State. We're going to save that one for our national picks. And speaking of national picks, Grant, oh, you're a red hot last week, man. Undefeated, five and zero. Oh. Got them all right. Congrats. Yeah, I feel like I um, feel like I got pretty pretty decent feel through the first uh, month of the season with a lot of different teams. And of course, as soon as I say that, you should probably run in the totally opposite direction on all of these picks, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I I feel pretty strongly about a lot of these, so we'll see how it uh, how it turns out. And that was another situation. By the end of the week, I was on opposite sides. Like uh, I think I picked Wisconsin on the podcast, but by the end of the week, I was on Notre Dame. There was one other one. I feel like I flipped at the end of the that I was one way on the podcast, but then changed. Um, I can't recall it right now, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I was one and four, so my picks have been just hot garbage. But it's only for fun. At least that's what I like to tell myself as I am uh, being, uh, you know, trying to sweet talk the repo man from taking away my car because I've lost all my money to gambling. All right, so here we go. This is a Friday night game. Number five, Iowa's on the road at Maryland, and Maryland's not ranked, but I think I think Maryland's undefeated right now, and Iowa is laying three and a half on the road at Maryland on a Friday night. Interesting matchup because I'm gonna guess that Maryland's not. not I mean, Maryland's got to be the best offense that Iowa will have seen because Iowa State's offense is not good right now I mean they they can't move the ball uh, their defense is you know only allowing like three something point seven yards per play but Brock Purdy and that offense with all those all big 12 preseason players can't can't move it and maybe it's because the schedule they played that's a, definitely a factor because Iowa's got a good defense and clearly Baylor's got a good defense that probably factors in anyways man this is an interesting matchup I don't man I, we you know on the podcast, we do force picks, and this is going to be a situation where my blind hatred for Iowa makes me want to grab Maryland and the points so badly, but I'm not going to. I'm going to, I'm going to take Iowa minus three and a half because I'm, I'm going to try not to have my judgment be clouded, and Iowa played, based on the scoreboard, a kind of a ho-hum game against, was it an FCS school last week maybe, or was it just like a really bad power five? I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Uh, I, I only won by a couple of touchdowns. It was a close game. I think they come out. Maybe they're looking ahead to Maryland. Who knows? And I'm gonna I'm gonna lay the three and a half with Iowa. I'm gonna go the opposite direction. This is a line that is fishy to me. Um, and so I, I mean I I got to take Maryland. Um, getting three and a half at night on a Friday. We know you know. Hey, Iowa's defense has been great this season, but their offense has actually been like atrocious. Like it's it's been. It's been kind of uncommonly bad. And, um, I mean, they only had like 120 yards of offense against Iowa State. So, I, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going with the Maryland team. It's going to be low scoring. I don't think Maryland's defense is great by any stretch of the imagination, but they can get guys off the field, you know, especially when they're playing against, a, you know, an Iowa, an Iowa offense that so far has looked like it's kind of played left-handed. I think Maryland is, in terms of, I think, I think the Sharps are probably going to be on Maryland in this game. Um, because because it's it's a weird line. It's it's a top five team in the country, only favored by three and a half over against an unranked team. The public very obviously is going to be all on Iowa in this game. Yeah, I think uh, you're this right. one just th yeah. this one feels like Maryland. And hey, I've oddly watched a lot of Maryland this year. I watched that entire Maryland West Virginia game. Um, and I watched their entire game against Illinois on the road a couple weeks ago. Uh, because I had I had money on that game, and they didn't look great at all, but. They got. I mean, they have some ability on offense. They really do. Um, and I think they're going to be able to move the ball at home on a Friday night. So, um, 
you know, because it's only three and a half, I think it's pretty sad. I mean, I think Maryland's probably going to win. Yeah, it was Colorado State that Iowa played last week, beat Colorado State by 10. Uh, both schools were below 300 yards of total offense, just uh, real barn burner. And uh, Maryland has beaten West Virginia in that opener. And since then, they beat Howard at Illinois, had a nice road win against Illinois. I get, I mean, Illinois is Illinois. And then they beat Kent State by uh, 21 points. So obviously the biggest test for Maryland to get him at home. I just I have this memory. I want to say it was either last year or the year before where Maryland was catching points on a Friday night at home. And I think some of the sharps were on Maryland and they just got demolished. I can't I mean, they just got killed. I mean, it was it was so embarrassing. Now I gotta look it up because it was just like I remember feeling like holy cow like a minute into the game i just threw my money away because it was just such a such a blowout uh, it wasn't last year no oh, no maybe it was last year i don't know friday no they played minnesota on a friday last year it had to have been 2019 oh here it was <laughs> 2019 remember when they played penn state on a friday 59 to nothing <laughs> so i just had that 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 uh, in my head that Okay, I'll take the other team this time. Well, you know, I mean, you got your method. I would, I, I don't, I don't think that's 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 the best way to to make bets on a game. But uh, you do you, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. All right, next one up, top ten matchup. Arkansas's in the top ten now, but uh, you have to help me out with this. Maybe you don't know. Is their quarterback hurt? Arkansas's court. I know he left the game against KJ uh, Jefferson. Texas A&M. I don't know. So I don't know if he's supposed I'm not sure. to play. Uh, they're playing at Georgia. Georgia's favored by 18 and a half. A top 10 game with an 18 and a half point spread. Now the betting like principle here up. has to be go with Georgia, right? When it's something like that, it's such a, Vegas is telling you something? Such, yeah, the, the, Vegas is saying, yeah, Georgia's a lot better than, uh, than Arkansas. Hey, a game, like, I, I a game that I'm going to be yeah. watching really closely, though. I mean, if, if, if Georgia struggles with Arkansas at home, going to be a lot of fan bases that, that are feeling pretty good after that um because then because I, I i feel like georgia is kind of the last team that's been like uh eh, you can't really poke really any holes in how they've performed so far um we'll see i think it's gonna be interesting for sure uh georgia's you know outside of that game against clemson where they struggled to move the ball on offense they I mean they put up a ton of points and a ton of yards since then um this is an arkansas defense that's pretty good pretty salty so uh, I'll, I'll be super interested to see how that one turns out so the latest I'm seeing, Sam Pittman said recently on Monday, he said that Jefferson should be good to go. But what does that mean? Does that mean he's going to be fully healthy? Is he just going to be kind of there? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the principle is, is right. I think I'm going to take Georgia. Did you make a pick? I, sorry, I was reading as you were talking. You be, okay, Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia. All right, both on Georgia there. Next one, this is an interesting matchup. Another top 10 matchup. Two top 10 matchups this week. Almost three. Uh, Cincinnati is at Notre Dame. Cincinnati's number seven. Notre Dame is number nine. And this is going to probably seem like a Joe Schmo type take, but I just can't bring myself to laying points with Cincinnati on the road at Notre Dame. I know Notre Dame's coming off a really emotional win against Wisconsin. And I wish it was three, not two. It's Cincinnati favored at Notre Dame. This is kind of a... 
Also kind of a weird line, man. I mean, wouldn't I feel like people would think coming off of that that last game that Notre Dame would be favored here just because of And uh, that's so why be, Okay, what is That's what, why what I'm on that Cincinnati mean? Does that here. Mean? Hmm. The 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 analytics don't love Notre Dame. They I mean that game was that game against Wisconsin was like tied going into the fourth quarter. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, Notre Dame is the 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 score was definitely not really what that game was. They had like a couple pick sixes and stuff at the end to make that score look a lot worse. So yeah, maybe that's a big, yeah, man. Uh, I just, and this is something to do with, uh, so this is Cincinnati. Their old defensive coordinator is Marcus Freeman, who's now at Notre Dame, I think. So now, so Notre Dame's defensive coordinator will be going up against his old school. How does that factor in? I saw Cincinnati earlier this year. They didn't look very impressive to me, man. Who did Cincinnati cover against a couple weeks ago? They barely covered, I think, right? Which I was on them, so good for them. Who was it? It was a Big Ten team, was wasn't it? Great podcasting. Was it Indiana? It was Indiana. Yeah, it was Indiana. On the, I just you know Notre Dame almost lost to Florida State, man. They almost lost to Toledo, and I just like I think this is classic public looks at Notre Dame. Oh wow, they beat Wisconsin by twenty eight points last week. And they're underdogs to an American conference team. I, that's just I. That's almost certainly right. How well, like the layman's better is gonna be is, gonna, yeah. is how they're gonna look at this game. And hey, the betting principle is always go against the public. Always. That's the yeah. That's more the I NFL. All, I don't know. If it's always, but yeah, I, I get your point. And you know, I'm with you. I'm gonna go Cincinnati as well. And I just looked up so. We got to take this into account. I mean, this is a Cincinnati team coming into the season with, you know, college football playoff aspirations, which is it's very unlikely for a team that's not in the power five. But they were one of maybe the only non power five team that kind of had that thought. And they circled this game on their calendar. They knew Notre Dame would be a big one. They have to win that game if they're going to be considered a college football playoff type team down the line, because this might be the only ranked team they play all season long. And they're getting them in the top 10. Also, Cincinnati, the last game they played was at Indiana. They've had a bye. They've had two weeks to prepare for this one. And now they're only laying two points on the road? Okay. Now I'm starting to like Cincinnati a little bit more. Now that I think more a little bit about it, considering uh, there's a lot more at stake for Cincinnati in this game than probably Notre Dame. And this is a Notre Dame team that is, I mean, let's be real, outside of the game against Florida State, who we know is awful, uh, they've really they've struggled at times to move the ball this season. And that includes the game that they just won 41-13. to They didn't move the ball great in that game. Um, they, yeah, they had Very a couple true. pick sixes and a kickoff return for a touchdown in that game, uh, which made the final score look a lot different than it really was. Um, Cincinnati, man, that's they got a veteran defense. They really do. Ole Miss is at Alabama, number 12 versus number one. Bama laying 14 and the hook, 14 and a half. And I, I think a lot of people are going to be on Ole Miss here, plus 14 and a half, just because of Matt Corral and the way, the way that offense is going. And I... I, I, you know, I, I want to as well because I just don't, I don't know if this is Alabama we're used to. I'm just, or maybe that Florida game was the wake up call they needed. And that now the defense is going to be awesome and they're going to just going to kill everybody again. Uh, so this is, this is a coin. <clears throat> this could be a coin flip game as far as the side goes um, because of the hook. I'll take the team that has the Heisman trophy favorite and the good offense even though they're on the road, I, I'll begrudgingly take Ole Miss, but uh, I it, it could be a situation again where that Florida game was a huge wake up call for Alabama, and they might just come out and make an example out of the Rebels. 
Uh, give me Bama in this one. Uh, this was the exact same spread that Alabama had against Florida a couple weeks ago, except you know they, that was that game was just in the swamp. And you know I this is more of just a uh, the hype train for Ole Miss has gotten too out of control pick, and uh, I feel like I've just seen this story way too many times. It's guy this this feels like an easy Alabama take to me. Okay. Uh, and lastly, the Big Twelve game of the week. Baylor at Oklahoma State, two top 25 teams, two undefeated teams. Uh, Oklahoma State's laying three and a half at home. So let's think. They were just laying six against Kansas State. And Baylor was catching seven at home, I believe, against Iowa State. Man, okay, so three and a half Oklahoma State. This is also maybe where you'd have to kind of rethink you know what you think about Baylor as well. They're clearly better than a lot of people thought they were going to be coming into this season. I think their offense is, has performed at a higher level than anyone really expected. They've been able to run the ball pretty well. Uh, Gary Bohannon has has been their quarterback, and he's been pretty good. Um, having that been said, I thought you know that game last week with Kansas State for Oklahoma State. When I was watching it, it just it, to me it felt sort of like a get right game for Oklahoma State. When I was watching it, I was like, you know what, hey. This looks a lot like Mike Gundy teams at Oklahoma State the last six or seven years. Um, kind of looked like they were they were kind of back to being who they were. So um, only three and a half points, a night game at Oklahoma State. Uh, maybe maybe a little too much for Baylor to handle at this point in time. Uh, I think Oklahoma State is the pick there. All right, and so the question to me is, how does Baylor handle success like that? Coming off of a a big home victory over a you know a top 25 team a team that had big 12 championship aspirations if not national title aspirations before the season how do they handle success going up against now another top 25 team this time on the road and that's the question you got to ask for yourself i mean in oklahoma state even though they were favored against kansas state kansas state was ranked going into that game you know it was a, like you said a get right game i because i think points are going to be at a premium in this game I'm gonna take Baylor. I'm gonna take Baylor plus the points, plus the hook, uh, because I I just I can't get the second half out of my mind with Oklahoma State's offense kind of struggling, not being as successful. And Dave Aranda is a good coach. Um, I I will I do know though that Oklahoma State had a lot of success last year against Baylor, so you know maybe Oklahoma State scheme wise is just pretty good against Aranda's team, or maybe they'll look back at that game Baylor that is and kind of think okay they kind of embarrassed us let's get back at them this time. So I'll, I'll, we're on the opposite sides of that one. Yeah, you know, part of it too is that, you know, you look at, kind of look between the numbers a little bit. Baylor may have been a little lucky to beat Iowa State last week. I mean, they got out, they got out gained by nearly 250 yards. Um, you know, some turnovers went their way. And, you know, I mean, it's just, a lot of that stuff is, is pretty hard to replicate in back-to-back weeks, but we'll see. All right, just a reminder, though, if you're thinking about making any bets on the picks that I made, <laughs> think again, because I'm 6-14 and 14 so far this year. Grant, though, is 12-8, so Grant's had a decent year so far, 5-0 and 0 a season ago. Just to recap, Grant is on Maryland, Georgia, Cincinnati, Alabama, and Oklahoma State, and I am on Iowa, Georgia, Cincinnati, Ole Miss, and Baylor. All right, any final thoughts, Grant, before we wrap up this podcast? No, just, uh, you know... I said it last week. I'll say it again. College football so far this year has been electric. It's been great. It feels back. Uh, I'm I'm super happy that this this feels 
like more so than you know in the last five or six years it feels a little more open this year it feels like it's it's not written in stone what's going to happen and that just makes things a lot more exciting um so looking forward to another really uh really fun week of college football it's going to be was it week five so week five and it'll be the second week where i'm actually on campus at a game and i'm i'm fired up i'm grateful to uh to be able to be there all right yeah same well said uh as far as the post kansas state podcast we'll figure it out i i know i think we're going to be probably around the same place but i'm gonna have a weird since i, I gotta drive back from manhattan on saturday the day of the game and then i gotta i gotta return a rental car in the morning on sunday so i, I don't it's gonna be a very little time to do any sort of preparation, which I guess for those post-game podcasts, we just sometimes we just kind of fly from the seat of our pants. But we'll see how it works out. We'll figure that out, and we'll get that out to you as soon as we can. Fortunately, last week, I was able to get it out on Sunday. You know, Sometimes I can do that whenever I'm, I'm feeling extra motivated. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens this time. But the most important thing is this podcast and Oklahoma playing well on Saturday, of which we hope the Sooners do. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.